grab me a beer and grab him a coke We bout to sit for an hour bullshit and tell jokes And please don't mix it up cause he done sobered up Brandon T. Comedy on your social media feeds And Brandon Tess here, bitch, your ex drinking buddy Brandon Tess here, bitch, your ex drinking buddy What's up, everybody? Welcome into another edition of Brennan Tassif is your ex drinking buddy. I'm your host, Brennan Tassif. If you are new to the show, I will give you a quick rundown of the show. I used to be everybody's favorite drinking buddy. Used to hang out with friends, talk shit, talk shop and reminisce about the good old days while we were drinking, getting high or getting in trouble. I am sober now, but that is still one of my favorite things to do is to hang out with a friend and reminisce about those good old days. I will normally be joined by a guest. This week is no exception. Joined by hilarious comedian all the way from the Tampa St. Pete area by way of Denver host and producer of the awesome sold out monthly show, Big Girl Pants, Lauren Defoe. Hey, guys. Oh, goodness. What is up? Of course. Thank you so much for coming on. We've been talking about this for over a year now when I met you at the 8-Bit Comedy Show that Mm -hmm. Kyle Roos does out there in that area. I was like, oh my God, we got to talking about the Denver days and certain people that we may like or dislike. And I was like, oh my God, you got to come on the podcast. And then through, you know, some circumstances, here you are. I'm here. I'm happy to be here. I'm like super excited to talk about what we're going to talk about today. I know. I'm excited to plug everything up front. I know I mentioned the show. Um, You Mm -hmm. did just get done opening for Bob Saget this summer. The big Danny guns. Tanner, yes. Was, he honestly, he's one of the nicest headliners I've ever met. Like met him. And the one piece of advice he had was just have fun. Oh, and really? I was like, okay. Like that's all I got to do. And it that's took it. so much pressure off of trying to be his opener. It was just, it was an amazing experience. So that's awesome. Huge shout yeah. out to Bob Saget. Hey, Bob Saget. <laughs> Friend, <laughs> friend of the kind of a friend of the show. I uh, he when he was doing the Florida theater, when he was on that run where you opened for him, I mm-hmm. uh, he ate at that Morton's and I used to work at that Morton's right there in Jacksonville. And so like the bartender, like one of the managers, everyone was coming up to him like, hey, we know a guy who does comedy who just moved to New York. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, cool. <laughs> Two thumbs up. <laughs> yeah. But um, plug everything up front where people can find you on social media. Um, all, all the show, all that. Yeah. Um, my handle for social media, mostly Instagram is where I hang out is Lauren Defoe is trying her best. I feel like that's a very accurate handle to have for Absolutely. me. Uh, Spell yeah. that for everybody. Cause it is French. So it is pronounced. It's, my last name is Defoe, but it is D U F as in Frank, A U L T as in Todd. There <laughs> so, you go. Like default. Um, so you can find me there on Instagram. And then I, I'm very excited. I just redid my whole website, um, which is laurendufoe.net. And okay. got some good pictures up on there now. So um, I do update my website all the time with my shows and what's happening. If you are in the Tampa St. Pete area, um, I go to Spitfire a lot for shows there and um, all over the floor. I just came back from Miami. That was exciting. There you There's go. Miami. Yeah. How, how was it? Honestly, how was it? Because I hear mixed mixed things that it gets it gets a little crazy. So this is I'm so glad I had that experience sober, to yeah. be honest with you, because I didn't drink anything. I was very proud of myself because I was like, 
driving at one in the morning around Miami in the rain. And I was like, if I can do this, I can do anything. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know I was like, I'm taking on the world. Yeah. There's so many times where it's like super late at night and I see police on the road now that I'm sober and I'm like, come on, pull me over. Come on, yeah, come yeah. on do it. Just do it. it. <laughs> but no, my, Miami is fun. Um, specifically their comedy scene. Just a quick shout out to Brittany Brave who moved there from New York, actually. Oh, okay. There. Yeah, she's an awesome ambassador of the scene there. Uh, I, I just met a lot of really funny people. Um, That's super awesome. Yeah, because I started yeah. in South Florida, but I started in like the Fort Lauderdale, Delray, Deerfield Beach area, like mm -hmm. just doing open mics. And then so I never really made my way down to the big Miami scene. But from all accounts, it, it can get it can get pretty, pretty rowdy. I was lucky to stay out of the rowdiness. I did like just kind of meeting people and then stepping back and just interacting from a distance and yeah. learning about everybody first before having an opinion on something, you know, just Instead like jumping in feet first. Yeah. Yeah. We'll be funny first. Obviously that's number yeah. one. That's always so. number one. Be well, funny, be nice and be available. Those three things. Oh, I'm going to write that down. <laughs> Those are my rules. Obviously, with healthy boundaries placed around them, but <laughs> healthy boundaries very important. Healthy boundaries. <laughs> um, plug uh, your show that you do because that's you said. I mean, you don't need to plug it; it's sold out every single time. But yeah. let everybody because you were telling me about it before we started recording, and it, it's a super interesting kind of idea. The concept came from my anger <laughs> about. The, a situation where I was noticing that women really weren't getting opportunities that I felt they deserved because they are so funny. Um, so I decided to start a show that there's always a female headliner and there's always a female opener. But the twist is, is that we invite men onto the show um, and we ask them trivia questions about women, like with pop culture, women's health, women's history. And the more they know about women in general, the more stage time they get. And it, it's always a great time. Uh, the audience is always really super involved. We also have virtual tickets too. So you can watch from anywhere. Oh, that's awesome. Um, about two months ago, we had people watching from California, North Carolina. Um, we had someone from South Dakota. Get out of here. I was like, yeah, okay, cool. I'll take it. Um, but that that show has is spawning into um, just a collaborative work. I like to be involved in the community too. So we have sponsors that's all female owned. We have like an after party where the audience is involved and they can come meet the comedians as well. There's food, there's drinks. Um, there's, well, there's food for people that don't drink and they have good nachos at the Boom. old Key West sponsorship. So it's a good time. What's the name of the show? Big girl pants. I there almost forgot that. <laughs> don't worry. I'm going to tag it in the notes. Uh, you can click the link yeah. to uh, check more. Um, get more information about it. So a couple things. We're definitely going to get into some of your stories that you sent me because they are very interesting, uh, very <laughs> similar to my path as far as some of the, the craziness. Uh, but you 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 do comedy, obviously. You did comedy in Denver, which has a, a pretty big scene up there. You kind of bounced around doing stand up. So just for the listeners, so they can get to know you a little better, kind of talk about when you started, why you started, like, have you always been a huge fan of comedy? And then just kind of what took you to Denver? What brought you back to Florida? How, how did that whole thing work out? So growing up, I really, I, well, I'm a middle, middle child, first of all, that, that needs to be said. So there was always that um, want and need for attention. Yeah. Like oh, yeah. against all my siblings. And, you know, I, 
that that was kind of the way that I communicated with my family. Like Thanksgiving was always my time to shine every year. I'd like have this mental warm up. like Thanksgiving is tomorrow. Like what is my A material? I need to bring the good stuff. Like, so, um, mine was impressions. Yeah. I did impressions at a young age. My dad, every family gathering, yeah. have a couple of pops and be like, run it, do the Pacino, do it, do it for everybody. <laughs> and I always be like, I don't want to. And then I'm like, here I go. <laughs> Watch me. Um, so it started off like that. And really, I was an athlete growing up. So I spent a lot of time in the pool. I swam for 20 years. Oh, wow. uh, so they're really within my school system. It was really choose athletics or arts. There was no happy medium where you could do both and excel. Yeah. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman went to my high school. So our drama program was like, no. Legit. Yeah. yeah. And um, so... I never got involved in the arts growing up besides choir, which I love singing. So that, that was just something I did during the day. And then I, I went through the whole process of going to college, swam in college, still was living that athletic life, got out of college. Where'd you go if you got, don't mind my asking? I went to East Carolina University. Go Hell yeah, you did. Yeah. <laughs> I swam for them for the full four years. It was an experience. That was when I first encountered alcohol so we can that that'll be talked about but we'll circle back uh, we can yeah we can circle back to that and then after college I moved back home briefly and then I just needed more sun in my life and my parents had a place down here in Florida so they was like they were like just go to Florida take take a break you need a break (laughs) I'll tell you more about that later too we'll circle back to that too Uh, and then I, I met this girl named Holly in a Starbucks I just moved to Florida. I didn't know one single person. And I just went up to her and I was just like, I like your hair. And then we became the best of buds and we ended up being roommates and we would just hang out and goof around. And one day she's like, you really should do comedy. Like, you know, you're funny. Right. And I'm like, what? I didn't even know. What? Me? Me? Oh my God. This and is I so, never... yeah, so, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. I had never had that thought like, I could do it. It was always just this thing I thought about in an alternate reality in the back of my head where I could dream about it for the rest of my life, but I have to, you do, have to, yeah, I have to do what I have, have to do. do the normal work. things. Yeah. Yeah. Do normal things. Um, and then I remember Robin Williams passed away and I had, I call it, we call it me and Holly call it the Eagle moment. I had an Eagle moment where, um, I was sitting outside and I was like applying to be a lifeguard again, because like I said, swimming was the only thing I knew, like the athletic lifestyle. And I was just like looking up at the sky and I'm like, what do I do here? You know, like I want to get on stage. And, and then I was like, send me a sign. And then it could have, okay. It could have been a bumblebee. It could have been a hummingbird. <laughs> I don't know what it, it could have been a piece of paper fluttering by, but in my eyes, I saw an eagle fly across the sky. And I was like, that's it, I'm doing it. <laughs> so I got on the computer and I looked up the closest comedy club, which was off the hook uh, comedy club in Fort Myers at the time. The next day I got on stage. Obviously I did the new comedian thing where I invite everyone I know. Yeah. <laughs> so you invite everyone, you know, there's like 20 people there. Everyone's getting hammered, myself included. I had like four my ties because I was so nervous. I got on stage. I did the whole thing. My first joke I ever told was my dad's Canadian and I live in Florida. So that makes me a Tropicana. It was awful. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was bad. 
So went through that experience. I did comedy for about four months, which in Southwest Florida at the time, the scene was very small. So it was like one open mic a month in that area. Oh, wow. And then I was like, I can take on the world. Oh my gosh. Everyone's going to know my name. And so I went to New York city for, Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. Okay. So I, I was like, I'm going to be famous. Like, after wait, 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 wait. So after famous. four months of doing an open mic, like once or twice a month, you honestly were like, I'm going to New York. Fuck this yeah. town. Well, I didn't move necessarily. I went to visit and I met like other comedians that had moved since like from Florida. I just kind of got like hooked up with them. And um, I. What year is this? This is 2016. Okay. And I went. <laughs> you, you're letting my voice you know what happened yeah um, oh yeah <laughs> I got obliterated I got obliterated my ego was just like hit real hard by people that were actually funny and you know and I was like well that's it I'm just gonna quit I'm not famous this is just this is, this they is not working know. out they don't even know Ugh. and so I quit and then I was just like I went through this whole tear for a year and a half of just like drinking and partying and coping and, and, and being with the wrong people and all this. And it took until being in a situation where I was living with a golf caddy, first of all, red flag <laughs> golf caddies. <laughs> That's a story we can talk about too. Uh, but I remember we were watching a Jim Gaffigan special. Can't remember which one got to meet him. the other And day. he's laughing cool. his ass off. Cause he's like, got so much cocaine in his system and I'm watching, <laughs> I'm watching it. I'm watching Jim Gaffigan. I'm crying. I'm sobbing because I'm just like, I quit. I gave up, you know, I could do that. That could have been me. That could have been me, you know? And so then I kicked him out of the house. Uh, I stole his power ranger t-shirt and then <laughs> which he did want back. So sorry, still have it. Um, got on stage decided I needed to leave Florida. And then I just kind of, I heard Denver was cool. I was like, okay, there's mountains there. I'm just going to go to Denver. And I think I really cut my teeth in Denver when it came to comedy. Yeah. Cause uh, that I, was the conversation that you and I had, you had mentioned Denver and then we kind of got into it. Cause yeah. I know some people up there and we know some of the same people and we kind of just got into it. And I, that's why I didn't even know about the New York thing. I just assumed you had gone to Denver and that's where you started comedy. The so New York thing, yeah, that, that's that's sad to talk about because it also is it's just kind of embarrassing, but it's like the natural thing that happens with newer comedians that, you know, you're, you're built up so much by your friends and then you get on stage and, and whether you know about comedic writing or not, you're still brand new to a craft that's been mastered for years, like hundreds yeah, decades, of years. So. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's interesting, too, because um, I know the listeners know this, but the one beneficial thing in the scene in Jacksonville is there's people who could move and be huge names, but they don't because they want to they, you know, get plenty of work. They're big. They're important. They're essential to the scene in Jacksonville. Like, you know, who I'm talking about, like Brian Ziola, Christina Shriver, Chris Buck, Marcus Crespo. And if they mm -hmm. went to any other scene, they would they would flourish just as much. But they they stay in Jacksonville. So that was super beneficial to me because when I was like, I'm out of here, they were like, hang on, come take, take a seat. <laughs> Let's talk about this. And yeah. they, they kept me really grounded, especially Buck. It was mm -hmm. they were very instrumental in keeping me grounded. 
So I didn't come to New York all starry eyed like I'm going to be a star. Like I kind of did. But there was a huge part of me that was like, do the work, keep your head down. And it's going to take a long time. And it's going to eventually something's going to happen because I'm not going to stop doing comedy. So eventually something will happen. But that's it's funny you say you were here for a couple months and you're like, I quit. <laughs> I'm done. I'm out of here. Because <laughs> I feel like that a lot of days, but I, I got to remember what everybody told me, which is that, you know, it's a long, arduous process. And you had only yeah. been doing comedy a few months. I've been doing it, you know, on and off for 12 years. So it's, but it's still, it's a new scene. It's brand new people. It's kind of like, guys, I swear I'm funny. Like, I swear. <laughs> um, Okay, so I had an open mic, which was a big shift, I think, in my experience as a comedian. I had been in Denver for about two weeks and I was getting, it was in the process of my bubble getting burst uh, again, moving to a new scene, thinking I'm funny, you know, um, and I'm on stages at uh, this mic called Scruffy Murphy's. It's now run by a dude named Derek Walton, who I absolutely adore. He's awesome. Shout out Derek Walton. Yeah, I'll tag him. Let's tag him. Um, So the mic is a regular open mic. It's in a bar. It's an Irish bar in the corner. Barely anyone's listening, you know? Yeah. And I had been there for like a week and a half. And I was, I was trying to put myself out there and talk to people, but I'm also scared of people. So I'm just like <laughs> trying uh, to make my uh, way. <laughs> yeah. I'm just anxiety all time high. And I'm on stage and I'm trying to do my Tropicana joke because why the fuck not would they laugh? Like, why would they not laugh at that? That's amazing. It's so funny. I read best jokes. You know, it's top 10, you know? Um, And I just stopped and I was like, you guys, like, can someone talk to me, please? Like, I'm so lonely. And I started crying on stage and then no one said anything. And I remember looking at one of the local comedians there and he just looked at me like, you're so weird. Like you just see in his eyes, like no one's going to talk to you. And I just kind of put the mic in the mic stand (laughs) and I took a deep breath and I just walked off the stage. No one clapped. No one said good job. No, like, and I walked into the alley and I started like, again, crying main theme of my life crying. (laughs) So I remember I found this, mind you, I was like kind of drunk at the time too. Cause you know, so I, yeah. I found this ring here. I don't know if it's a ring actually, but I found this in the alley uh, when I was crying and I, I put it on and I've had this on since that moment to remind myself kind of a tie in of like, you cannot do comedy and be successful at comedy. If you get your self-worth from laughter, you have to put your self-worth into the work behind it, the motivation behind it. Right. Yeah. That's, that's a great, that's a great point mm -hmm. because I, I know I talk about it on here and I talk about it with other comics and stuff is that some of this, and I've heard, you know, your stuff too. And some of it ties in. And I thought it was funny when I did that eight bit show, I really thought, like you went up and talked about anxiety and stuff. And I was like, oh, I've got all these weird scars from self-harm. Like I'll do those jokes. And you guys were in the, like the back. And then as soon as I was like, anybody else, you know, got really bad anxiety to the point where like you hurt yourself, the you and like three other comics like stopped and turned like, where's this going? Yeah, <laughs> I want to know. <laughs> but it's one of those things where it's, it's for me, it's a lot of truth behind what I'm trying to make funny. So at the end of the day, if nobody laughs, I want people to laugh, but if they don't laugh, it's not 
it doesn't damage my self-worth as a comic, like in the moment as a competitor and an athlete, like I get frustrated, but at the same time, it's like, but I'm not going to like, I'll tweak the bit, but I'm not going to throw it away. Like, yeah. I like this. I think this is funny and I'm not unique. If AA has taught me anything, I'm not unique. So someone else out there will think this is funny because I think it's funny. Yeah. So it's, it's very apropos to what you're talking about with it. It's the work I put in behind it where you don't have to laugh. I still know it's good. It's going to be good to somebody. It's subjective. Yeah, I think that is so important. I remember when I first started, I was uh, really close with Nathan Wallace. You know, that comedian, he's a South Florida comedian. Yeah, he's a great. He, he's sounds a great super dude. familiar. Yeah, yeah, super funny. And I remember he was around when I would go on stage and every no joke, every time I would get off stage, I would cry. Really? Would cry. Every time? Yeah. Every time, it, it, probably for the first year and a half, like I did it. And now I got off stage. Um, at one point I saw him again, like after some time had passed and I got off stage and I didn't cry. And he's like, whoa, who's a big girl now? Big girl <laughs> like, hey, I'm not crying. Yeah. <laughs> so getting, getting caught up in the work. Um, when I was in college, my team used to have a saying on the back of our t-shirts, like be happy in your work. And I, that applies so much to sitting down and writing your, your jokes, or even just getting up on stage and writing material on stage, like figuring out your strengths and focusing more on that than, cause the laughter will come. If you put, if you put the work into it, if you go to the gym and you lift weights, you're going to be strong, Yeah, you know? So if you go and you work hard at joke structure and um, at what it takes to be a funny comedian, you're going to make someone laugh you just have to find those people and gather them together in a small yep. dark room <laughs> i say it i say it all the time it's one of my favorite kyle canane quotes i don't need all of you i just need enough to fill a room yeah yeah so you don't need everybody i don't need to be mainstream i don't need to be you know this super relevant to everybody super relatable to everybody i just need enough to fill a room and hopefully it's a big room but a room that's it yeah it's it's awesome. Oh, sorry. No, I was gonna say that's all it comes down to. Go ahead. I think it's it's another thing that's awesome about through throughout my experience is learning. Because what I've seen, what kind of makes me sad is I've seen a lot of comedians that have those big dreams, that have those those goals to become a nationally touring comedian, a household name, which is totally fine. But then there's a lot of judgment placed on those people that are like, yeah, I just do this every other Thursday because it gets me out of the house and that's okay. So I think I have my own goals in comedy, but if yeah. I'm here and I'm, I'm judging Joe Schmo over here because he has different goals and I'm not focusing on mine, that also just takes you away from it. So I think understanding that everyone has their own sphere of comedy, it's, and it moves. Well, and you it's know? something that's something that has been difficult for me. To your point, mm -hmm. we had Stephen Baker on the show and he made a really valid same thing, same kind of point that you're making where he said, because I always say there's comedians and there's people who do comedy. They're two different people. Um, and then Stephen Baker probably put it the most understandable for me in that moment of this was about a year ago. But he said it's like karaoke. There are some people that go there and take it really seriously. And this is their time to shine. And then there are some people that go to do karaoke because they want to get hammered with their friends and do it. He goes, stand up is the same thing because I had such a hard time with those people you're talking about, those Joe Schmoes who did it as a hobby. To me, that was an 
in my head at the time, it was an insult to the craft. It was an insult to the art. It mm-hmm. was I'm up here trying to say something important and give people hope who are going through rough times. And you're just like talking about dicks and pussies and farts like we're not we're not even in the same sphere, mm-hmm. like let alone the same like genre. And so but I'm pretentious and I'm an asshole. And so that's how I thought of it for the longest time. And then when Steven said that, similar to your point, I was like, oh, yeah, it they're not hurting me and I'm not hurting. Like, it's OK. Like, it doesn't. Yeah. So I've tried to get a lot less judgy, but I still come off as pretentious. But I'm, I'm trying my best to not put energy into that because of exactly what you're saying. It takes away from what I'm trying to do. There's plenty to eat for everybody. Like we can all just stay in our own lanes. And if I want to, you know, I don't want to, I'm not trying to be this huge nationally touring, like in movies guy. I just want people who have struggled the way I've struggled and the way comedy helped me. I want my comedy to help them. That's it. That's all I want. And so it's so hard for me when people get up there and they're like, yeah, I was eating out this girl and blah. And I want to be like, shut the fuck up. (laughs) But at the same time, people laugh and it's like, oh, at the end, that's all we're trying to do. Like, that's why we're here. Yeah. So that's probably been the hardest thing. What exactly what you're talking about, the uh, not judging other people. Self-awareness is the first step to growth. So you are on your way, man. (laughs) You're on your way. I just, I find that I'm like, I'm very lazy when it comes to that. Now I think I spent so much of my life. And again, I think this goes back ties into drinking too. just so much of my life trying to either impress somebody or become a part of this group that I think is super cool. And I want to be super cool. And um, too much energy in my life has been dedicated to that type of behavior. And I think I've gone through this phase of getting so angry and working through all that anger that I'm just kind of too lazy. Like I hating someone is so hard. And I'm like, I want you get tired after a while. Yeah. I'm just, it, it's kind of like that closed uh, fist reference. Like your hand is going to be a lot stronger if it's open and it can hold something than if your hand is closed and you're like losing all your strength from gripping your your fist. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because my entire world, my whole structure, even it was a survival mechanism before, but it's anger, Mm -hmm. you know, through football and athletics. And then anger has just always been my go-to. So it was, it's still to this day, one of the hardest things I deal with, even though I've been sober for three and a half years, I still like, I woke up this morning as Marcus Crespo puts it. I woke up in search of violence this morning. Like I (laughs) opened my eyes and was already like Savannah. I I was like, let's get breakfast. So Savannah, bless her heart, was like looking up places to get breakfast. And I was like, I don't fucking want that. Like, (laughs) And then I got up and walked out of the bedroom and there was like, um, some like, uh, to go boxes from the night before, like just out. And I was like, this is how we get rats in the house. Ah!" (laughs) She's like, why are you yelling? We just woke up. And I was like, I hate everything, but it's exhausting. It, it takes so much out of you, but the good thing about that specific situation is that rats in New York are so big. You could almost claim them as a tenant. So they could also pay your rent too. She's on fire. Ladies and gentlemen, I know I do. I hear the rats are, are just in, in the city specifically. <laughs> well, we have, um, we have, uh, we call them stewards, like little Stuart littles. 
So oh, the, ones, okay. the ones that get into the apartment are, are little mice. They're not rats. They're like little teeny tiny mice okay. because they fit into the stuff. And I've got all these humane traps that I set up and I just leave out and then, you know, I'll take them outside and dump them. And then they probably just run right back up and I should probably kill them, but I refuse. Do, but, do you miss the lizards of Florida? Yeah, that's a weird thing. So when I first got up here, you'd see something scurry about in the night because I smoke. So I'd go outside to smoke and my brain just defaults to, oh, that's a that's a pretty big lizard because I lived in Florida my whole life. And then I'm like, oh, yeah. that's not a lizard. There aren't lizards. Here. <laughs> that's a mouse. That's a little mouse. That's a little stool. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah. I have two cats and every anytime a lizard like gets in the house. Um, it's over. It's, it's done. Well, I found one yesterday a little tiny baby one and my my cat was like playing with it torturing it and i i got him just in time i was like here little lizard go back outside and then my cat got outside and found him again and i was oh just like God. i did nothing <laughs> what did i do it's like it's like all those scenes in the movies where you're like you're gonna die anyway just accept it like just accept it death is the one thing we all have in common and yeah. birth but it, you know it comes for us all yeah, I almost I almost probably should have died a few times. We're in getting that. into a lot of these close cut. Yeah. Do we should we get into this? Well, let's um. I want to circle back because sometimes we do chronologically. Sometimes we bounce all over the place. I mm-hmm. want to circle back to um. you said you didn't start drinking until you got to college. So that'll kind of be the uh, starting point. And yeah. then we'll kind of bring it all the way around full circle to because now you don't drink anymore. So we'll, we'll get to that. But that'll be kind of the ending point. So. Anywhere in between, take it wherever you want to go. But I want to start with the you specifically said I got to college and that's where I started drinking. So go ahead. Yeah. Oh, God. OK. Uh, so I'm you didn't drink in life. high school. You weren't like one of the the because I never drank in high school, really. And then uh, but my older brother and my sisters did. They were like the fun party, popular people. So, yeah, yeah. I did not. I, I- I don't think my parents believe me to this day that I didn't drink in high school, but I, I didn't do it because I was so busy doing other things. And, and honestly, I can't say that I had a core group of friends until junior year a little bit. Okay. And that's when I started to like sneak out and find soda. It was crazy. <laughs> we didn't have much soda in my house only like during. Oh, college. you mean like legit soda? Yeah. <laughs> um, and so by the time I got to college, I was just this like I grew up on a cul-de-sac in upstate New York. And then I'm going to this big D one school with like, the fuck specific- you are. Hell yeah. It, it was go specific- pirates, <laughs> go pirates, purple gold. Um, within the swimming community, like I came into it thinking like Full scholarship, um, not in the first few years, but I built up to it. I okay. got All right. faster All right. as I went. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, I just, I thought everyone's going to be the same as me. Like no one drinks. Everyone's super focused on their swimming. I dated a swimmer. They're fucking wild. Yeah. Well, I hate, okay. This is kind of where I get a little fuzzy because I hope, (laughs) I hope that one day if my coach ever hears this or if like student athletes party, you could say like college kids party, not like athletes athletes party and i especially athletes like swimmers we we are so like athletically inclined and it's like keg stands last for hours because you could just you know that when it's all that lean muscle it takes so long to like the alcohol you can just like you can burn through it and you're like let's go like let's keep and that competitive drive 
where everyone, nobody wants to be the la- like the first one to stop. So it's like like college kids party, but they're fat and lazy and disgusting creatures. College athletes are finely tuned machines. And and we we were taking that finely tuned attitude and placing on placing it on top of the sport of drinking. Yeah. And so my first week in college, I remember thinking to myself, like, first of all, I didn't know the difference between tequila and vodka and beer. And <laughs> like I didn't understand. Yeah, I knew there was drink. beer and wine because that's what we had in my house. Uh, but I, like I didn't I didn't know. And so I remember my first week I was talking to one of my teammates, another freshman, and I was talking to her and I just remember her saying, find your limit, find your drinking limit, you know? Yeah. And I was like, well, how do you find your limit? And she just got to cross the line a couple of times. She's like, drink till you throw up. (laughs) And so that was my goal was to drink (laughs) until I puked every time, because it's like the more you, the, the more you drink, and I would always end up in the shower, like curled up in the shower by myself in the dorms, just like throwing up on myself. And I was like, I'm getting the gold, you know, like I'm yeah. winning. And so that kind of culture lasted all four years. By my senior year, you know, I had my core roommates I found. We would go out dancing, which I wouldn't take that back. I would go back and dance again. Yeah. Uh, but then I couldn't remember it. And there'd be moments where like, we were on the drunk bus coming back from, you know, the, the nightclub, we were dancing all night and, and I would be like screaming at this girl in the back of the bus, because I remember this one specific thing. She had a pizza and I, I am, I hate being this person. And I was that person. She had a pizza and she was eating a full pizza and she had it, she was eating it. And I was like, I want a piece of pizza. And I was like hammered. And then I remember her saying no. And I was like, you don't need it anyways. Like just complete, like. That goes against a lot of the big girl pants kind of things. It does because I I have grown since then, which is very nice to say. I am not that person. Um, But just getting myself into, I got into a few fist fights. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that. Was that in college? The one that you uh, told me about? The karaoke one. <laughs> you um, so you put it on your list. You said broken bottle fist fights. Was that while you were in college? That was after college. That was okay. right before I moved. Well, no, that was okay. So there's been so many. Which one do we want to discuss? The first one what was happened the f- in cup. First yeah. fight, yeah. So the first fist fight I ever got in was actually the girl that that told me to find my limit. Um, the okay. T- because she um, she and I never got along in terms of our personalities in general. So I just think I harbored a lot of anger and that anger came out when I was drinking and then I just didn't like her anyways. Yeah, uh, fuck I her. hope she doesn't listen to this podcast because I think she knows who she is. <laughs> um, but uh, I had to take something out last week because of that. I like made a ref- yeah, I made a reference to somebody and I was like, because I've been burned a couple of times on this show, like just making references. And I'm like, they you know, I didn't say anybody's name. And then it's like, it's not that hard to figure out who you're talking about, man. Yeah. Well, honestly, we don't have to cut that part because I'll say it to her face. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'll say it to her face. Um, No, but I got into a fist fight with her one night. Just what happened? Are you like drinking at a house party? We were drinking at a house party, drinking at a house party. And we were two little freshmen and it was like two. Oh, wow. This is like right into it. Yeah. Just 
right out the gate, gold medal here, there. Yeah. I just stacking up those memories. And I remember whether I started it or not, I didn't know, but it was one of those you things. You finished where, it. Yeah. I, <laughs> you know, um, it was just one of those things where so-and-so told so-and-so that you said something bad about her. And it was just a lot of immature young people bullshit. Yeah. And I remember she would walk by me and she would give me a dirty look and I would walk by her and I would bitch under my breath. And it was just like this tension that was building in the room that everyone could hear. And then she said something as I walked by and I just remember seeing red and I just went after her. People had to rip us apart. And then there were a few times at parties my freshman year where you know the mo- the movies, those scenes in movies where they have the beer bottle and they smash it on the yeah, corner yeah. of the table and they stick. I've done that a few times. Okay, so this is interesting because <laughs> I've been in quite a few fights in my life, but mm-hmm. I was now I'm not like the fighter. You're talking about a lot of these stories and you keep referencing uh, freshman year. So th- some of these happened in that first year. I'm, I'm going to say you were probably deemed the angry drunk, I would assume. I was the crazy one. I yeah. was the one. I was okay. the wild card. Like, yeah, I was definitely the crazy one, too. But you seem to be like violent crazy. <laughs> I yeah, I was. And it, it developed if we're going to fast forward all the way to my last fist fight, which was in 2008. 2018 okay uh, that was at a karaoke night in denver we were at a bar since it has closed it's called el chorito and it was great and all the com- it was like the comedian hang okay we went there any time of the day there was a comedian there and so it was i had a rough week at work and i was just you know coping and decompressing yeah. by getting extremely intoxicated um, as we do as we do, as we as did, we I should do, say. as we did. Yes. Um, and as a comedian, I wanted that attention, but I wasn't booked on a show. So I thought karaoke is the next thing. And you mentioned there's different types of people that go to karaoke. I take my karaoke very seriously. Yeah. Me and my friend Bridget, we would go up on stage and sing our songs and go in the back and be like, well, on the second chorus, you were a little flat. I think I'm the, <laughs> like, wow. that's, that's the type of karaoke. Yeah. I do. So your, so, your karaoke is very much my comedy. Yeah. And so very serious. We take we, it seriously. I was on stage. I was expressing myself and I was singing Melissa Etheridge. I'm the only one because that is my go-to song. And this girl gets up on stage during my song and she has this stupid blown up air. Like, this is what I'm thinking as it's happening. I'm singing and I'm killing it. And <laughs> she gets on, she comes in my light. Right. And she's got her blowing her blown up um, guitar like you would have at a, a pool party. And she's yeah. like, she's like dancing. And she's like, yeah, she's just a someone that goes to brunch every weekend. But you don't you know, know her. The girl with only guy friends, yeah. uh, that yes. kind of girl. And I was so mad. I just stopped. I was like, get off the fucking stage. Wow, <laughs> mid song, you just stopped and told her. I to just stopped singing. Off. I was like, get off the stage. And she's like, what? I'm like, get off the fucking stage. Like. And so she gets off the stage and then my friends start like tussling with her friends. Mind you, all of her friends are dudes and I believe yeah. she was dating one of them and against like five or six comedians, you know, how yeah. comedians oh, are yeah. be awkward, you know, and um, I stop singing. I go back to drinking. I forget about it until the end of the night when I look up, I'm outside at this point, I look up and they're walking across the street, her and 
I believe her boyfriend, I don't know. They were holding hands. I'm not going to define their relationship. <laughs> and, we don't put labels on it. You know, we, we let people live their lives, you know? And so then I didn't start it. My friends started yelling at them and making fun of them because they had missed their lift and they were like yelling. And then I start yelling at them because yeah. I was like, this is fun. I remember I hate her. And so at one point she's walking back towards me and then she's like, I'm going to, she said something like, I'm going to punch you or I'm going to beat you up. And I was like, do it. Punch me in the face. Please punch me, please the face. Punch me in the face. Please punch me in the face. And so. Um, well, they're so similar when it comes to that moment. It's like, I, I used to, oh my God, I used to do things to myself to her. Like, please do it, please. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so, um, she punched she got a she got a good one she punched me right in the, Ooh, face, in the nose in the nose I, I had the next day i had like a bruise all about my lip your eyes but, start to um, water so at this point she punches me and i'm on the inside of um an outdoor like patio thing okay but she punches me and i immediately like go into that place where i was in my first fist fight and yeah. all the ones before that the athlete where, in you like, yeah, and then I remember jumping over. <laughs> yeah. I was like, no, and I jumped over and I, I I punched her. And then this is the part I don't remember. I legends this is say Sparta. <laughs> legends say yeah, that. Um, so I punched her back, and then her boyfriend punched me. So I got punched oh, by her it. boyfriend, and then. Corey Healy is one of the comedians that was there. Um, he's a Denver comedian. He's amazing. Um, he came in and he, he defended like me. And so there was like a squabble now, like more than two people fighting. And I remember it was like the dead of winter. And so we all have winter jackets on. And I remember coming to, and I was lying on the ground in the snow. There was like blood all over my face. Oh my and I God. had her in a rear naked chokehold because I have a little bit of martial arts experience, not enough to say that like I'm good at it. I have the basics down. Yeah, enough to know Foundation. what goes where. And so I remember I'm I'm choking her and I have my legs wrapped around her, like everything. Everything. Everything is happening. And it's my friend Bridget. She's yelling at me, like, get off of her, get off of her. And her friends are yelling at me, like, get off of her. Stop. You're choking her. You're killing her. The lesson <laughs> and, needs to be learned. Yeah. I'm like, ah. And um, so then the cops, I hear the sirens and the cops are on their way. And so I let her go and I just like stand up and I walk off. Yeah. And my friend said that I walked off. I took a, a, a pile of snow. I wiped the blood from my face. <sighs> I reapplied my lipstick with no mirror and I went in and I sang another song <laughs> and she's like, that is the craziest thing I've ever seen anyone do. That is awesome. That's probably the greatest part about that entire story. Just pocket snow and just. <laughs> yeah. And just wiping it all off. The next day was not so fun because no. I had an audition. Oh the no. Next day. And I remember being on stage. I was auditioning for an improv team. I was, I was on stage and I was like, like trying not to throw up on the person I'm playing with on stage. And, and your face I is all like, swollen and shit. Yeah. It's like, and people are like, what happened to this girl? Like, oh my God. <laughs> I, I, yes, anded too much. I, 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 too, yes, too seriously. I, I kept yes, yes anding. Yeah. So 
So that's kind of the evolution of my fist fighting during those days. So when I was a freshman, I had a lot of behavior that was erratic. And I think as I was older, as I, as I was an older alcoholic, uh, my behavior was more, um, focused defined. Yeah. Focused and defined still with those undertones of like anger and shame and fear and like relentless just hating of myself yeah well i mean if master yoda taught us anything it's that fear leads to anger anger leads to hate and hate leads to suffering everybody knows that Mm -hmm. well if they don't now they do yeah absolutely um you had a couple so you on this list i definitely wanted to uh bring some of these up so there's some that just say story whatever story so there's balcony story bikini story glass story there's no notes there's nothing with them it just says the story so i'm not sure where you want to go with those what What do you want to hear first um glass story that sounds interesting to me okay the glass story is about set it up where what what, what time what year is this where are we what city we living in all right picture dead of winter 2012 we're in rochester new york oh cold this is my hometown um we're in rochester and i'm living with a gentleman who i should not be at all like i have no associating with at all is this the caddy no he's later on in the story (laughs) um so mind you i should i should note that i put a lot of my self-worth in dating too so that was also tied into my drinking i think Um, okay I, I, i tended to drink and date I attended to date people that were also based around the, the culture of drinking. So drinking was always a part of the first date. It was always a part of a celebration, you know? And so, um, it's it very was difficult I, to get to know who somebody really is when it yeah. is. And I just know that from personal experience, always when drinking is the main catalyst in a relationship, it was always difficult for me to understand who I was even dating because we were always just so fucked up all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, but he was also a barber. So he did my hair, which was, like a great hurry. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, we're friends now. It, it, things have healed itself, but this particular situation was the camp, the, the last straw okay. of our relationship. So I had found out something within the relationship that I didn't know. And I got really upset. And that night it was my friend's bachelorette party. And he was like, well, I'm going to have people over at the house while you're gone. And I was like, that's fine. I have no problem with that. I am. We start arguing about, I couldn't tell you what (laughs) arguing about something, something is a problem and we're going to fight about it. And so uh, I'm, I'm at this hotel where all the gals are getting ready, doing the bachelorette thing, listening to music, talking about like her fiance and all these things that everyone's having fun. And I'm on my phone fighting with my significant other, my partner. And I'm trying to have fun and I'm getting angry. So I'm drinking a lot and I'm talking about it. And I'm like, it, it's turning into this like whole, like, yeah, it, I'm, I'm slowly sinking. Right. We go out, I give my phone. To, and at this point I had learned to stop anything you're doing on the phone and put the phone away. So yeah. I turned my phone off and Gross. I had <laughs> grow. Yes. I'm still drunk, but I don't have a phone. <laughs> So I end up going out, getting really drunk, like cross-eyed drunk, just like not <laughs> sure which way is For up. those of you listening, <laughs> Lauren actually went cross-eyed when she cross-eyed said it. Cross-eyed drunk. <laughs> um, and 
I ended up getting back to the hotel with the girls. And originally I was going to stay over with them and wake up in the morning and go back. But I was fighting with him and I was going to finish this fight. So I was like, I'm going to cross-eyed drive across town in the dead of winter in three feet of snow while it's snowing. And I'm going to yell at this person because that's the only thing on my mind. And so I get my phone back, which also included me fighting with one of the girls. I instructed her not to give my phone back, but then this new Lauren was like, I need my phone. And so (laughs) I get my phone, I turn it on, 50 missed calls, 20 text messages, just like he had blown up my phone and I started to panic. So the anger was there and then the panic had set in because I was just like, oh my God, what if he gets so mad that he goes out and he cheats on me? And now, so I immediately, I drove back like I was just driving, cross-eyed, driving, get there. <laughs> I opened the door to, I was like, he's going to be home. It's three in the morning. He was not home. Oh no. And the place had looked like someone had cleaned it with a toothpick or with, with a, with a toothbrush. It yeah. was so clean to where like, I'm like, something happened here. And I don't know what yet. Um, later on, I found out that there was a fight in my apartment and there was like the police were called. It was, it was a whole thing there. But in that moment, I immediately blacked out again. I went to that same place, that little tiny place in your brain where you don't understand that there are consequences to yep. decisions. And the I remember I'm doing very familiar the same with. thing. Huh? It's a place I'm very familiar with. There's a, right? so many the, times. The even are to very dark. And- <laughs> People are like, why did you do that? I was like, to be honest with you, in the moment, I, I could not tell you why. It seemed like yeah. the right thing to do at the time. But I just I, remember there's no logic. No logic whatsoever, just like a primal instinct to destroy everything around yep. you, you. Kill know? everyone. Yep. Kill everyone. Yeah. And so I remember taking an empty bottle of vodka, which was full in the beginning of the night, and I smashed it on the ground and it shattered. It went everywhere. In the apartment? In the apartment, it was Rochester, New York in the dead of winter, but I still wore my stilettos. So I was wearing my heels and I remember trying to walk across the apartment like, oh no, what? Are, and I kind of snapped in because it's loud, like shattering glasses. Like, yeah, it's loud. And so I was like, oh no, what did I just do? And so I took a first step and I'm drunk and I stepped on glass and my stiletto. Heel, no, my ankle just. It, it decided to break and snap. And so I oh. fell on the ground in the glass, in the glass. Oh no. This is like diehard all over. I'm, again. On, I'm, I'm, I'm in a pile of glass with my ankle. That's mine. Mind you. I learned that I had tore three ligaments in my ankle with that fall. Oh my God. So I'm like army crawling and I'm getting more mad at myself because the shame is building up. I understand the consequences of throwing the glass in that moment, they I, were immediate. Yeah. Immediate consequence. So I get up and I, the shame brings me back down to the instinct of anger and kill everything. I'd start taking a knife and, I, and I'm just like hacking away at the kitchen counter. And I'm scr- like, I'm just like beside myself with anger. And that I put the knife down and I'm crying and I just like, I roll back in the glass because that's what you do. Right. You yeah. just like stay at the bottom of the barrel. Um, and that's the moment where he walks in. Oh God. Can what you happened? imagine dating someone and walking into that mess? I would think someone like broke in and attacked you. 
he, yeah, luckily he, he got me in the shower and I, I was able to like get into bed. My ankle had been cut by glass too. So my ankle was bleeding. And, um, I woke up the next day to my parents looking over me because he had obviously called my parents and been like, you need to help, like, come take care of this, you know? Yeah. Um, cause that's a little bit much for a partner to handle. And I understand that now. Um, yeah. And then we went to the doctors and then a few weeks later, I ended up moving to Florida because I needed to take a break, sunshine, take a break. (laughs) God, that's insane. I drove to Florida with it, with my ankle brace. And I was going to say, cause that, how long did that take to recover from? I'm not recovered. I can feel it. I never got surgery, never did PT. It's I, um, my physical, I, I used to run a lot. I loved running. Like I would run up to like nine, 10 miles. I run two miles and I'm like, my ankles can't take it. So it is, it is something that happened that will affect me in the long run. Just a constant reminder. Constant reminder. Yep. I I can't wear high heels anymore. I'm a a boot girl now. Yeah. Boots. Hey, (laughs) boots, boots in Florida. Right. That, that works. Right. By the way, Han Solo season is upon us. Yes. I did see that (laughs) meme. That was hilarious. Gotta love it. Puffy vests and jackets and boots. Oh, yeah. Everyone named Ashley will come together. <laughs> Just kidding. Have you seen that meme? They're all wearing the boots and they all have the. the yeah. Rapper. Yeah, it's great. They're at like they're like some outdoor festival or something. And all yeah. three of them are next to Ashley Fest. God, <laughs> Ashley that's... Fest 2022. 2021. Well, I wanted to um, ask you about. um since we're talking about Han Solo season and everything, and you do live mm-hmm. in Florida, what is the bikini story then about? That happened my sophomore year. Oh, so, so this I, is in of, college? This is back to college. Back okay. to college. So um, I had I was dating a gentleman and he ended up cheating on me. And it, long story short for the beginning of this is obviously I was angry and I was like, I don't want to be around. You angry? No. Very, very seldom did I get angry. Right. (laughs) So, um, I wanted to just go to a different party other than a swimmer party. And, you know, he, he was on the track team. So, you know, I was sick of the track team. I just wanted to, so I went to the girls rugby party and it was a bikini party and, you know, right i was just like whatever because i was starting to meet them as friends and they were awesome uh they were you know after a breakup as supportive people do they're like yeah fucking whatever drink you know yeah not that they they sounded more like yeah just drink whatever you know Uh, fuck him (laughs) yeah kick his ass i love they were awesome but um so I'm, I'm, I'm drinking i'm getting drunk and i'm like so thankful that there's no boys there because i was like i can't take like the trauma that I'm just going through. I just need to, you know, have a girl's day. And yeah. um, I'm outside. And like I said, it's a bikini party and it's getting late and it's probably like 1130 at this time. And who rolls up, but like three or four of the swimmer boys. And I'm like, nope. no, this is nope. my thing. Why are you here? Like, go away. And like so- Ed Norton and American History X. You're not welcome here. And so I remember, I think the bottle thing might be a theme. Uh, oh, because- no. <laughs> so again, this bikini is a, it's a leopard rainbow bikini with bedazzles on it. Of course. 
and it's 11th right it's the only suit you need to wear in 2000 and what eight it was um i end up throwing a bottle on the ground because that's fun that's your move that's my move and then i immediately go back into that state of like i'm gonna go and yell at this person so they i didn't drive there i didn't have a car uber wasn't a thing um I honestly decided the best thing was to walk okay. to his house. And I couldn't tell you how far it was, but I remember walking on the side of the road in the rain at like two in the morning in my bikini, hammered, just no walking jacket, down the no highway. coat, nothing. Mm-mm. Nope. Just oh. walking down the highway. I made it to his house. I walked to his house barefoot. Like, And I get there and I remember sitting there on the sidewalk because I had gotten there and he had been having a party himself. So I was like, I can't, I was like my drunk self sitting on the curb. Like I can't go in and yell at him because he's got people over his friends. Uh, over. And so it's, yeah, I was like, this is sad. And I'm just sitting on the sidewalk. Luckily um, the universe was looking out because these people like slowly pulled up and then they kind of, they're like, are you, are you okay? Like, where are you, where do you live? And I was like, I live in Jones hall down there. And so these strangers dropped me back off at my dorm and I slept it off, but I, I could have got, couldn't get, could have gotten kidnapped, could have gotten like murdered, run into a wild animal. (laughs) Like, gosh, it was my feet were torn up the next day. I woke I up. I could imagine. Had, yeah, gravel like, ugh. So let's. You wrote something on here that I definitely want to get into as someone who's mm-hmm. dealt with it personally, and then we talk about it a lot on the show. So you wrote down psych wards, mm. which um, just uh, obviously I think the listeners have heard this, but you know to try and you know, connect with you as a guest. I'll just tell you quickly my experience when I was 17 and uh, attempted suicide and I got Baker acted. So you get held in the state of Florida. Yeah. In, in the, the state, which, yeah, it's a thing. Okay, yeah. Sorry. So in the state of Florida, it's a thing, but that's, that's it. It's just, you're held for a minimum of 72 hours. Um, pending review is when you get released. I know I talked about this with one of my guests recently, but um, that's been my experience with psych wars. And then, when I got sober, I went to a rehab. And then the next time I fell off the wagon, I went to a detox. But the Baker Act was the only time I've ever been in a psych ward. I've been in psych wings for evaluation in jails, but that's the mm-hmm. only time I've ever been taken to a mental health institution. And you had wrote psych wards and it's making a lot more sense with the violence that we've been talking about. But yeah, <laughs> get into that because you put it on the list. So I'm going to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, get getting into it. Uh, I've had two, <laughs> I've had two getting into it. There we go. Here we go. <laughs> uh, I've had two experiences actually, both in Florida. Yeah. Uh, it's a first, thing. It's a thing in Florida. It it really is. It two things. Have you been Baker acted and have you gotten a DUI? Those yeah. are the two like check check and check, check two DUIs. <laughs> Um, no DUI for me, but that's because, but you got two psych wards, so it works. Two, yeah. Right. Okay. So it still counts. Yeah. 
Um, you just need two points. It doesn't matter what category. <laughs> We're playing a game here. Yeah. Um, Tell so, him what he's won, Johnny. A beautiful <laughs> life. <laughs> Trauma. Um, Despair and regret. Consequences. <laughs> <laughs> this is a fun game. So my first experience, uh, it actually came at a time when I was doing that thing where I was trying to have all the things line up and all of the things go right in my life. And is this, you know, what year is this? Like, where are you at? Are you, you said is, you're in Florida. So is this 2014, 15? So I moved to Florida 2014. I left in 2017 for Denver and I came back in 2021. Okay. So this is my second go around in Florida. This first one, um, I got my degree in teaching. So I thought, why not go back into teaching? And I was teaching school and I was dating people I shouldn't. And I was trying to be a beach bum at the same time because that defined my bohemian spirit. You know, like I was just like trying to be that all Florida girl, you know? Yeah. And there were things going on like there was like family things going on and the amount of pressure that I put on myself to be perfect and have it all together. Like, and I just, the underlying, I don't want to do this. I don't want to teach. I don't want to be in the classroom, but I have to do it anyways. Like going back to that whole, uh, this was before I started comedy too. So I still hadn't discovered like the stage yet. And so yeah. I didn't know where to put this energy that but I didn't. You just knew it wasn't in the classroom. You knew that. Yeah. So I remember, um, I was drinking away every weekend what I was trying to forget that I did the week before. And it was a Monday morning and I gotten there at like five 30 in the morning. Cause I'd spent all weekend drinking. Cause I didn't want to do my guided reading lesson. And so I'm trying to come in and make up for it. And, and you know, I, I was, I was doing all the work and I was like manically trying to, what am I going to teach these kids today? I don't even know what's happening. And so I remember thinking I look around the classroom and there's paper everywhere. There's scissors, there's glue. There's just like all this stuff. And I was like, okay, how much time do I have to, to get the rest of the work done? Cause I still had a lot of work to do. And I look up at the clock and it's like seven 28 and I had to pick up the kids from the cafeteria at seven 30. And oh, I God. just broke down, like just immediately broke down. And, um, in that moment, the teacher next door, brand new teacher. We're both first years. Uh, this bitch walks in the room and she is made to teach. It is her calling. She has a mug that says teacher. She wears flowy dresses every day. She invites wooded animals and creatures to come in her classroom with her. Like My ex-fiance was working with you. That's crazy. Yeah, no, she, this, she was a great teacher. Like when there are good teachers out there, this was one of them. That's so, how my ex is. She was like, totally like, we are ready to teach. Yeah. Just on her game. And, yeah. and I remember she came in, she's like, good morning. Like she's yeah, saying, yeah. good morning. <laughs> she's saying, and I was like, it's good not morning. And so, I mean, I wasn't drunk at this time, but I was definitely hung over. And so my hormones in my body were just not, there's no homeostasis, right? There's no there's no grounding. And yeah. I remember crawling under my desk in the fetal position, like sobbing. And she's like, I'm going to get the principal, like just one second. And so she gets the principal, she comes back and the principal is like, Hey, come on down to my office. We're going to talk. And so 
I go down to the office and she's asking me all these questions and then they're getting a little bit more steadily geared towards mental health. And I remember she's like, at any point, have you wanted to harm yourself? And then I just lost it. And I was like, yeah, no, you can't say yes. I know in the state of Florida, you can't say yeah. Well, yeah, we've all learned that the hard way. It will honestly, this had to happen. This was yeah. a breaking point. This had to happen um, because then the sheriff came in because there's sheriffs in Florida schools. And so yep. she came in, super nice lady, um, got in the back of her cop car, took a little joyride. She <laughs> didn't even put you in the front. No, I was in the back, man. VIP. <laughs> <laughs> get there, um, immediately get put in a small padded room with a TV with the plastic over it that yeah. has recently, like, got punched in by someone else. Um, I got put in basically like a holding cell for 72 hours. I was, was it at a um, actual psych ward or was this at the jail? I didn't go to jail at all. She took me right to the psych that's, ward. Okay. That's what I thought. All right. Because yeah. that's the thing. And that, I know that was a big thing with uh, a lot of people talking about the defund the police movement and stuff is that it's not what you were going through is not, it's not necessary for like an armed officer for that. Like, you needed like some sort of guy, you know what I mean? And like, in my experience, yeah. it's been kind of the same thing, but in my experience, sometimes when you break down and you, you just need like some like help mentally, like, Hey, maybe we should go to this place and hang out for a couple of days. And you could talk to some doctors in my experience, instead of that, a lot of times it's like, no, we don't really know what to do with you. So we're going to put you in cuffs and book you for resisting arrest without violence. Cause yeah. that's a charge we can book anybody on. So we're just going to send you to jail. And mm-hmm. so I, it's good to hear that in your situation, they're like, no, 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 we'll just, we're going to go here and you're going to talk for, with somebody for a little while. Yeah. Um, I, I'm very thankful for that. And I do know that, that some of the experiences I've had around mental health have been privileged. Yeah. So that's something that I don't ignore. Um, and that in- instance was one of them. So getting there and, and being able to talk to doctors, uh, mind you, I was still angry. Like I, I was yelling at the doctors. I was like, there's nothing wrong with me. I just need to, you know, like, and I remember, um, getting out and then the school system I worked with, they were very supportive and very kind That's obviously awesome. because they've seen this burnout before in teachers because teaching is an extremely hard thing to do. Yeah. Um, and so they're like, listen, the job is yours if you want it back. But like, we're just going to let you chill for a few months. Uh, and then I took that time and I decided I was not going back to the classroom because I think it was that moment. If we like tying it back into comedians that have different definitions of their own success, like I'm taking up space for another new teacher to come in. That's actually passionate about it. Yeah. Like the like, girl love- that was next door to you. Yeah. Well, you know, what did happen, which was kind of cool to hear later on is that when I left one of the student teachers that was in the classroom across from me, she graduated early and then took my class. Oh, wow. So it was like her opportunity to kind of start her career. And so I think about that and I'm like, okay, like that's kind of how that worked. Um, it's a fair so, trade. You didn't want to be there. Yeah. You left and that, but you know what I mean? Like it is like, it's, it's, it's nice sometimes when the universe balances out like that, like it's the same yeah. thing with a lot of our stories. It's like, yeah, it was traumatic, but I got this really good bit out of it. So fair trade. Right. You know, I make people laugh with my trauma and my, my experiences. Fair trade. Yeah. Um, I did a set a few days ago, actually about 
like suicide and things like that. And I think I've gotten to the point where I, I understand that concept of like, this is going to be something as dark and as crazy as it was, I'm going to bring it on stage with me because you asked me before the podcast, like, is there anything we shouldn't talk about? And my experience in it, like I, I should be able to talk about all of this because it is my story. It is a part of the way I am. And if yeah. there's someone else out there struggling with it, I would rather them hear my story and know that like you can get to the other side of all of that. Cause it's all based in shame. It's all yeah. based in not loving yourself and not liking who you are as and a person. As, as a per- Yeah. From, and I, I it's, you put it so elegantly. I say that all the time. That's exactly why I do comedy. It's not, it's for those people because I, you know, was very on the edge of probably not going to be, you know, hanging around much longer, checking out of the hotel life when I was a lot younger, because I had all this anxiety and depression. I didn't know where it was coming from. And then I remember my cousin, Tom introduced me to stand up comedy. And like I saw Tom Rhodes and Mitch Hedberg and that original mm-hmm. Dane Cook Comedy Central presents. And I used to record them on VHSs. And I was like, oh, this is even if it's for 30 minutes, no matter what I'm going through, these guys can make me laugh, which is yeah. at the time I didn't think laughter was possible for me. I was so upset all the time. Either I was angry or I was scared or I was just mad. And so and that's really what I think comedy is to me and that's exactly what you're saying it's like it's my so now when i get on stage it's not there's not a lot of you know fart dick shit jokes it's like a lot of anxiety depression suicide you know fights jail rehab and i try to make it funny and i like i said earlier i really think it is funny but it's to what you're talking about like it's there's it's gonna be dark (laughs) yeah it's a very grounding energy when you you're on stage and talking about that, because there's, there's two things in life. Everyone, including the rock next to you can agree on is life and death. Things begin and they end, you know? And when I was on stage talking about like, I was like, this is my suicide plan and this is how I would do it. And this is this one time I tried to do it failed. Ooh, you know, like awkward. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I'm still here. Um, it, it, it was <laughs> here I am. It was a weird experience to, but also a great one to reach that point as a performer where I feel comfortable with my not so fun stories, like the ones I'm telling you now. Yeah. Because at one point I didn't want anyone to know about this. Like it was, I was, I was brought up to, and I think a lot of people were before the mental health I'll say community and industry kind of like learn a little bit more about how to go through all these things. Like don't let anyone know you're suffering. Don't show weakness. Like vulnerability is bad. Um, Suffering silence. Right. Yeah. Right. So I think getting past that point, first of all, there's, there's nothing, there aren't things that you need to keep track of. Like, Oh, who did I tell who and who did I not tell? And who knows? So yeah, like, li- there's no lying anymore for me. It's just, this is what it is. This is what happened. And I'm still here. So cool. I'm going to get another cat, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> like, Hey, <laughs> <laughs> well, and the other good thing about it too, is that um, you like the Royal, you, I, you, all of us, when we do share things like that, it opens up the door for people to have more normalized conversations about it. 
Because mm-hmm. if it's something you can laugh at in the moment, then maybe it's something that you feel like, oh, this isn't as taboo to talk about as maybe I thought. You know what I mean? So when people hear us joke about it, it's not. And this is something that I struggle with when I get off stage. It's not glorifying the fact that I went to jail or the fact that like I used to be suicidal or the fact that I hurt myself and I have all these weird scars all over my body from harming myself. Like I'm not glorifying that. But what I am doing is pointing it out and being like, right, come on. That's kind of like you said, the humor almost comes from the shame of it versus the like the glorification of it. So that's that's Mm -hmm. also something that I've discovered within the last 10 years, maybe that's kind of come to light, because before, like you said, it was especially as athletes, it's very much like nobody fucking cares, like shut up and get it done. No excuses, just results. That's all that matters. Mm-hmm. And so it was so difficult, like dealing with all that stuff. And now doing the podcast and talking about a lot of that stuff on stage and having comics like you on who also talk about things like that. It's it's been enlightening. It's been fun because it's like, yeah, this shit happens. Do you feel like it's helped you go through it being around more people that, you know, talk about it and, and you hearing these things, but also when you share it, like how have you grown as a comedian? I find that when it resonates with people, it really resonates. So it hits them mm-hmm. in, a, in a spot where you can't get to other people, if that makes sense. So like surface jokes are good. They're what we get paid for to make people laugh. In all honesty, that's what the job is. But I have certain jokes um, that have a surface level to them because they're funny in the story, but also have a deeper like there's a bit I do about my mom. It's like her favorite bit. And I do it all the time and she loves it. She's approved it. But I talk about like having the cool mom and everyone laughs because it's like, oh, we've seen mean girls like that's funny. Like also on the surface, it's funny, but it also hits differently with people who had that, you know, who grew up in that experience of parents who drank a lot and like always partied. And, you know, it affects them in a different way, but it's still funny. But to them, it it hits so much differently than Mm -hmm. to everyone else. So in the sense that I've grown, it's very much like trying to layer the jokes to where it's all it's it's pretty funny for everybody, but for the people that really connect with it, it means so much more to them. And that's that's kind of what I'm trying to to do in my growth as a, as a comic is not I've, I've gotten away from like, oh, let me just go up there and be as dark as possible. Like I've got very dark jokes, but I try to make it like, OK, like you don't have to jump into the deep end. Like you can wade in like and yeah. chuckle at some of the tags that are in the joke. How about you? Do you find it? more or less challenging now to do that kind of material doing material closer to home closer to my my experiences it's much easier because it's easy flowing it's something that's based in truth um you can add absurdity to it but the the undertone of it is still going to be the same because you experienced it um that's one of the things i've always said is like i like telling my stories just because i I genuinely like storytelling um i think it's an uh christopher titus is uh, if we're going to talk about someone that brings his trauma on stage and just shows it to the world he's one of them i mean and tignataro she does it too just like um I enjoy the storytelling, but then now I'm enjoying the connection I'm getting with people. Like I, I told, for example, I, I told that the suicide joke 
on last Wednesday for the first time ever on stage. I told it to some of my friends before and I wanted to see how they felt. And um, I got two messages on social media from people that I didn't know that were there at the mic. And they're like, thank you for sharing that. That was awesome. And so I, oh, those, wow. those moments help me understand more and, and accept the fact that like, I have to, I have to talk about this stuff. Yep, I feel the same exact way. It's, it's right? our responsibility as comedians who have dealt with this kind of stuff to talk about it. We're, mm-hmm. And I mean, a lot of there's uh, comics and big mainstream comics that, you know, make their money doing stand up and they are very much like, oh, don't take it too seriously. We're just here to make people laugh. And I, you know, respectfully disagree. You know, comedy saved my life, literally saved my life. And so it's one of those things where it's like eh, to some people, it's pretty important. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like to some people, it's yeah. not just yuck yucks. Like to some people, it, it means the world to them. Comedy, I'd say, um, it helped give me a direction and it helped me understand my strengths as a performer, but not only a performer as a basic human on this earth, walking around, what can I give back to people? I, okay. I went on a date this morning. I did. He was so nice. And, um, Sunday morning. So it was like a brunch situation, which yeah, well, no, because I, (laughs) that was a lot of answers. Yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah, no. Well, honestly, like this also just ties into drinking. Um, people ask me out when they do, because it rarely happened, but when they do, <laughs> they say, let's go for drinks. And then I say, I don't drink. Yep. Can we do something different? And so it's coffee drinks in the morning, which again, oh, okay. fun because, you know, I was also listening to this other article or listening to this article. Sorry. I was listening to this YouTube channel um, and they were talking about how at a chemist, at a a chemical level, you are the most optimistic in the morning. So I was like, I'm going to have morning coffee dates. And so um, I was on this date um, this morning and he was talking about the fact he said, I like how open and, and easy to talk to you are. And that comes from me learning through comedy that I shouldn't hide everything. Not to say you should overshare on the first date. Definitely keep cards in your back pocket. Like you'll see my flaws someday. Don't worry. But yeah, oh, they'll um, be there. Yeah, (laughs) they're not going anywhere. Those character defects just hang around. (laughs) But I think uh, comedy has definitely helped me get to the point where I, I am. I'm loving myself a little more. I'm understanding what I bring to the table when it comes to having interactions with other people, whether they are strangers or friends or family or coworkers. And so just to build off of that and to understand that connecting with people is a lot of fun. When you find those people that you're like, you are a dope ass human, like yeah. straight up the coolest human I've ever met, you know? And I'm, I'm getting to that point where I'm finding all of these really amazing people that I'm surrounding myself with pat on the back to me because I didn't do that in the past. Yeah. Um, but, but that finding those people that you can gel with, within whatever community you are in specifically for us, it's the comedy community and, and then expelling that energy into the audience and getting that back too. It's so important. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a serious matter. You know, it's a very serious matter. Very serious. We take it laugh seriously. (laughs) I wanted to, um, just quickly, you said said twice in Florida and you mentioned the one story was the, is there another story about psych wards in Florida? 
Ooh, the, sorry, I forgot about that one. <laughs> um, the I can just see time, some listeners being like, wait, she said two times. We only talked about yeah, the right. one. The second time I had gotten back into the same habits of um, drinking and, and working in, in restaurants, because I did a work in restaurants for a while. Uh, so I was living on the Fort Myers beach. I had a, a roommate and I was in another relationship that I had no business being in. I should not have done anything except for be friends with this person. Um, but I, I took it too far just based off of that whole, I need to be loved thing and coping yeah. with alcohol. And I did, I realized I did grow a little bit because I admitted myself. Oh, okay. <laughs> I knew, I realized I had, I'd been around the game long enough where I realized that like, I feel the spiral. It's, the, the cloud, the dark clouds are looming. Closing you know, in, I, need, yeah. I need to take care of this before, you know, it gets any worse. And so I remember son of a gun. I remember being there and I had my little roommate and we were talking about how we're not supposed to be in there. And, you know, I knew deep down I should. And, and so that was a more peaceful and calming 72 hours than my first go around because my first go around, I was, denying the fact yeah. that I needed the help. And you were the very second much time, I was yeah. like, yeah, this is, this is a thing in my life. It's a lifestyle at this point. It you know, where's my badge? <laughs> I need my badge. Um, I just remember walk in like a scene, uh, the <laughs> devil wears Prada, like just throw your coat. Like <laughs> where's my badge. <laughs> I need a badge. Second time here, three badges to get a gold coin. <laughs> it's due Oh, not default. <laughs> that situation, although more peaceful, I think had a very abrupt end with the relationship I was in. I remember I was sitting there in my gown, like people do, do in work, in my as you do. And um my partner came in and he came to visit me, and I thought it was for support. Nope. Mind you, we were having our own problems with that. Like I said, no business being in that situation. Um, not that he's a bad person, <laughs> not, he's, he's a good person doing his best. Like we all, are. all the, uh, uh, qualifiers. Yeah. It's just, it was, it was, it was a cesspool of bad decisions on both of our parts, you know? Okay. Um, and he came in, he's like, yeah, listen, I'm not going to date you anymore. <laughs> so he broke up with me while I was in wow. <laughs> and I, 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 it's a little fuzzy because apparently there were, there were drugs there, right. They give you the sedatives to, to stay calm. And so I remember, um, I had no one to pick me up. My roommate had to come and pick me up. And, and, and that was a more full circle experience than the first one. The first one, I was just kind of like, like, like a, like a wet chihuahua, just like coming out of the, yeah the the building like okay i think i'm okay and the second time it's like you know i'm not okay and i need to change some things and, and that's okay that, and that's okay and, and that's, that's okay. when i started to the plan to go to denver so okay. that was the the almost like the chapters of my first few years in florida were like psych ward in the beginning and psych ward at the end and then i went off to denver and i got into the karaoke fist fight and like came back and so now i'm I'm in a much better place. Well, that's awesome. Tell yeah. um, So the last thing we said, we we're going to bring it full circle. We are coming to the mm -hmm. end. I wanted yes. to uh, talk about, cause you and I spoke about this. Um, 
I think I just kind of like initiated it, but um, you are now sober. You're not drinking right now. Um, you are two, three, three weeks now. I'm almost a full month. Okay. 20, 29 bang, bang, bang. days. Yeah, I'm feeling good. <laughs> That's awesome. So this is uh, for full disclosure, like we we're talking about open books. Um, this is not the first go around you've had with trying to stay sober, correct? No, it is not. Um, the longest I was sober before this was like, I, I believe around eight months. Um, I did, I was sober for a little bit in Denver. Um, and that went well. I, I think I was doing a good job. It's just the little micro decisions you make to weasel your way back in. Yep. Like I have varicose veins. Right. And so my, my mom was like, red wine helps varicose veins, which is true to a point. And so I was like, you're right. There's a health benefit to wine. So I'm just <laughs> drinking red wine. I'm just drinking red wine for my veins. It's for my veins. It's for my veins. But like one beer every other Saturday and some red wine is totally fine, but it's just for my veins. It's fine. And the one beer, like it's, I, I'm not going to get drunk. It's I'm a not social get thing. Drunk. Yeah. It's also, yeah, no, it's fine. Just to like kind of pass the time. And then fast forward to six months, it's like, it's Tuesday and this is tequila. Yeah, it's happening. <laughs> yeah. I know that. I know that all too well between. Yes. So this being the third, third attempt, not it, it, every time it hits a little harder. And I think I've realized that it is not, I'm not a drinker. I cannot be a drinker. Um, my health is more important, my mental and my physical health and you know what i got shit to do yeah i got i got i got stages to be on i got things to remember i i want to so much more your- productive in life since i yeah since i got sober i'll tell you that much and it wasn't even like i was i wasn't super destructive before i mean i was but not like okay i was pretty destructive but <laughs> since getting sober it's weird how it's just very much like my days are filled, man. Like I got shit to do. Like I got so much going on. Like I don't have time. And there yeah. are some days where it gets super stressful. And I think, you know, yeah, a drink would make all this go away, but it's only going to be for a few hours. And then I got to wake up and fix it all. So is it really worth it? It's like, it's not, mm-hmm. it's not at all. It's a, it's a cyclical thing. It's a cyclical pattern that you get yourself into with drinking. And now that, you know, I'm final attempt, like I, I understand the importance of that. And if, I told myself the other day, I was just sitting there thinking like, I just want to be the girl I was in high school with more confidence and really just getting back to her would be the best. She wasn't drinking. She was focused on her work. You know, she was, she head down, you know, be happy in your work type thing. So if I could do anything, I would go back to that girl and give her a hug and just be like, you're going to be fine. It's going to be okay. Do not find your limit. Do not find your limit. Don't listen to that bitch. (laughs) The limit does not exist. (laughs) There is no limit. There's no limit. There's just a lot of consequences. God. Yeah. Congratulations on your continued success in comedy. You got big girl pants. Plug everything one more time. Yeah. Instagram. Uh, It's the funniest handle ever. Lauren Dufoe was trying her best on Instagram. You can find me on Facebook with just Lauren Dufoe, um, laurendufoe.net, which also has a Big Girl Pants tab on there. If you want to look up the Big Girl Pants show, that happens at Spitfire Comedy every third Thursday at 8 p.m. Um, there are virtual tickets available. So if you're not in St. Pete or Florida, you can watch and have some fun with us. 
Awesome. Well, thank yeah, you again so Saget. much. <laughs> yeah, no, this has been awesome. Shout out Bob Saget. <laughs> Bob Saget, I love you. <laughs> um, thank you everybody so much for listening. Of course, follow me at Brennan T Comedy on all social media, brennantcomedy.com. Dates at Broadway Comedy Club coming up on the 7th and the 16th. Um, and no, yes, the 7th and the 16th. I always fuck those dates up. Um, <laughs> and we will talk to you all next week. Thank you guys.